1: Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Brody Kostecki just won the Supercars Championship. Nah, not really, but he's likely to have a few things go his way at Erebus for the remainder of the season, and that's because the latest silly season shock is that Will Brown is making moves for an early exit from Erebus to join 888 for 2024. The move comes despite Brown being under contract until the end of the 2024 season with Erebus. At the same time, Shane Van Gisbergen's NASCAR future is taking shape. The Kiwis added a debut in the third tier truck series to his trip to Indianapolis and the truck outing will come on an oval. Is this the hint as to how his integration into NASCAR will play out? We'll take a deep dive into that later in the show. Premier Racing has a new team manager, or at least it will from the Sandown 500 onwards. That's when Stephen Robinson will take over the role vacated by Matty Cook after Darwin. Robinson joins Premier after stints with Triple Eight, Porsche, and most recently, Grove Racing. Barry Ryan has issued a formal apology for his sweary outburst in Sydney. In an open letter to fans, he said it was uncalled for and promised to be more careful with his language In the future. He also slammed online bullies following a wave of hate mail directed at Erebus and Will Brown. And I'm certainly not suggesting he would retract any of that in the wake of the Triple Eight news. So um yeah. Jess Barla has been named as the new Managing Director of General Motors for Australia and New Zealand. She will replace Mark Ebolo on September 1. And Tim Slade is set to make a comeback in TCR Australia for a somewhat unusual reason. He will race the Lincoln Co. that is usually campaigned by Tom Oliphant because Tom will be in the UK getting hitched to his fiancée, Jen. Slade made a cameo at Bathurst in a Honda TCR car last year. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that would never let something like his impending nuptials get in the way of a good TCR race, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you this week?
2: Hello, Andrew. I've got to say, I am uh, disappointed in Tom Oliphant. I reckon he's uh, he's missed a trick there by not having his wedding at Queensland Raceway.
1: Oh, Quinny would love that. What, a, what an opportunity to show off the uh, all the new facilities there for what... I think would be a fairly uh well-funded affair let's put it that way for the uh yeah for that wedding maybe
2: tom's not heard about uh how good Quinny's made the toilets that's a
1: that is a good well yeah he's been in there scrubbing him. i'm sure he would have given him an extra an extra spray with that little you know those funny little bottles with the curved neck that goes under the rim he could have got in there with a bit of that i reckon
2: for, a, we, for we do all have to clean the toilet andrew <laughs> Well, look, that's a fairly silly
1: start to a silly pod. Uh, It is the season to be silly, and uh, this latest move is about as silly. As it gets, uh, it's been in the works for a couple of weeks now. I seem to remember you actually flagging this on the pod a week or so back um, and that being the chat that Willie B was the number one target for Triple Eight for next season. Uh, now, the idea that a contract release would actually be granted seemed a little far-fetched at that point given there is very clearly little in the way of love loss between Erebus Boss Barry Ryan and Triple Eight. But here we are with a deal between Brown and Triple Eight understood to be in its very final stages of being agreed upon. How has it happened? It appears that the key figure in all of this is Erebus majority owner Betty Clemenko, who has effectively granted Brown's wish to part ways with the team a year early. Stefan, I just can't imagine Barry Ryan is all that impressed with how this has gone down. Um, and, you know, have we sort of seen Brody Kostecki guarantee himself that
2: if an Erebus driver wins the title this year, it's going to be him? Well, there's so much to unpack. Um pack from this, but I think firstly, we should just tip our hat to to our colleague, Conor O'Brien, for breaking this story on the v Sleuth website last night. It's certainly got everyone in the industry talking, but of course, we haven't actually heard anything on the record from the key players involved yet. So you mentioned that Betty has effectively granted Will Brown's wish to part ways. What's your understanding of what that actually means? Is it a free pass or is Will buying his way out of his contract? Look, I,
1: I let me stress that I don't actually know, but from some of the conversations that I've had in the last 24 hours, I, like, I'll, you know, there is some strong mail that it could be a free transfer, which would be, you know, quite amazing given the fact that this is, you know, I guess the, the interesting thing right now is that this is like a like to like. Transition really. It's a like-to-like move. Erebus is a front-running team and he's going to another front-running team. That's what I guess, you know, it's not a backmarker team, and you're saying, hey, I've got my big chance to make this massive step up um, to the big leagues. Can I please take it? It's not a move like Shane is doing where it's an opportunity overseas. This is a like-to-like sort of sort of switch. So you would hope that Erebus, given what they've put into Will's, you know, development over the years, would be getting something out of it. But it's always hard to tell. With Betty, she's so such a unique team owner, you know, in terms of how she approaches team ownership. Um, she's always sort of had that, you know, she's like the mother of the team. She loves the team. She wants the best for everyone within the team. So it's kind of not out of the realms of possibility that she's just gone. Yeah, you can just go if that's what you want to do. I don't know. It's a, but that would be a great shame for that team.
2: Yeah, I think um, you make a good point about the fact that. It's um, well. He's actually going to a team that's below where Erebus is in the championship. Um, if you mm-hmm. look at it that way, but at the same time, there's there's twenty years of reasons why Triple Eight is the premier team. I can well understand why Will would want to go there. But um, just going back to to the release, like uh, each situation is different, but. Betty does have a bit of form here, like we've seen some star drivers walk away from that team during contracts, whether it was Will Davison back in 2015, David Reynolds a couple of years ago. Her attitude does always seem to have been, if you don't want to be here, we're not going to force you into staying, which it's certainly an admirable approach. And I don't think many teams would be that gracious about it, especially in the situation you describe. Well, let's hold
1: fire on how gracious everybody will be uh, about this, you know, if and when it does go ahead. I'm pretty sure there'll be a few people in the team that won't be all that happy with this playing out. And I feel like there's a pretty strong argument that that's fair enough. I mean, you know, Erebus promised Will a full-time ride for 2021 back in 2019, He'd been on the books for a couple of years by then already, you know. They committed to running a third car if they needed to in 2021, you know, and and Barry has been so fiercely defensive of his boys over the past two and a bit seasons. You know, it was Barry that was there swearing the house down on TV, you know, when when Will was bullied by Shane and the Evil Empire, you know, as recently as, as Sydney. So I think there is actually – a case to be made for them to feel a little bit jilted by this. I mean, you know, Will is seen as a cheeky little character. Is this a little bit too cheeky, Stefan, do you think?
2: Well, that's a hard one. I mean, yeah, in some ways the whole sport owes a debt of gratitude to Erebus because of the way they've invested in bringing young drivers through. Like, yes, Will and Brody at the moment and before that Anton, like, these guys, none of them may be in the main game right now if it wasn't for Erebus and how they've gone about driver selection. But at the same time, it's it's a cutthroat business. Like, I don't think you can blame any driver for wanting to advance their own career as long as they go about these negotiations in the right way. Like, sometimes drivers just have to be a bit selfish and yeah we're seeing Shane Van Gisbergen right now he sees a better opportunity somewhere else he's walking out of a contract as well triple eight have been amazing to him he was a zero time champion when he arrived there but yeah if if the driver wants to go and do something else then yeah it's just part of the business I think
1: the situation is slightly different in that he's not going to a different team and Jamie Wink up. Literally said that, you know, on Friday at Sydney Motorsport Park that, you know, that's why there is there, – there, there was the openness to discuss Shane doing something else because he wasn't just heading down pit lane somewhere else. So this is obviously given all the, – the very recent history between Erebus and Triple Eight um, that obviously all feeds to this um, being a fairly sort of explosive – uh, move. If we park all that to one side, park the Erebus politics of the whole situation to one side and look at this just as a signing for Triple Eight, is it a good one, do you think?
2: Oh, When you look at the season that Will Brown has put together this year, for sure, it's, it's a good signing. I mean, he's been getting the results on the track and he's got a really marketable personality that ticks those boxes for the sponsors as well, which I'm sure is a factor. Is he a like-for-like replacement with Shane Van Gisbergen? No, but, you know, there's not another Shane on this planet at the moment, is there? No, there's definitely no. I, I do
1: feel there is an element of Will making hay while the sun is shining, which is fair enough to go back to the previous point. You know, th- this is the year where he's really stood up and taken the fight to Brody when some, mostly you, Stefan, didn't think that he would. <laughs> I know he got that race win in 2021, but to me there's still been – there's still been this sort of kind of question mark over whether he's a very good race car driver or a great race car driver. And this is the first year where he's actually really looked like the latter. So I guess if he can turn that into an A-grader drive, then that's a smart, even if it's ruthless, I guess.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. And and look, like Will Brown going up against Brock Feeney, who is now really established at AAA, that's going to be a big challenge for Will. But- There's every chance that the environment at Triple Eight, the processes, the depth of personnel, like that stuff has the potential to lift Will to another level as well. So, yeah, as you said at the top, the next question really is how this current season plays out from here and whether Erebus can park these behind the scenes happenings and go and win a championship with either of these drivers.
1: Just imagine Erebus finally winning a championship and the number one heads off somewhere else. Not just somewhere else, but heads off to Triple (laughs) Eight. the next season I'm not sure that would go down all that well anyway uh, we didn't get much time to discuss this last week Stefan as it was a pretty packed show but the Enduro Field is officially set that's off the back of Blanchard Racing Team announcing the lineups for both its main entry and its wildcard for Sandown and Bathurst now Tim Blanchard was listed as the partner for Aaron Love in the BRT wildcard entry when it was presented to and approved by the Supercars Commission but Blanchard has since promoted himself to the main car alongside Todd Hazelwood and turned the wildcard car into a West Aussie All Stars entry with Love and Jake Kosteki. Now, it turns out that a wildcard application does need drivers attached to it, and that's why Blanche was on that list, given he wasn't entirely sure how the lineup was going to play out. He just sort of put himself in there as a placeholder. Kosteki, of course, was axed by Tickford at the end of last season after getting involved in a bit of a blue with Scotty Pye at the Supercars Gala on the Monday night following the Adelaide 500. Stefan, how important is this wildcard effort if Jake genuinely wants to rebuild his career as a supercars
2: driver? Oh, very important, clearly. I mean, he, he wants to be full-time in supercars again, but even if he can bring some funding to a team, he's going to need to show that he can do a solid job at Bathurst. And like last year, that tradie car was in the thick of a bit too much action at Mount Panorama. So yeah, it's all sort of ahead of him in terms of how he goes there, but- I've got to say, like, no one can accuse Jake of being vanilla. Some of his quotes around coming back for the wild card, lamenting the politics in the sport and saying he wants to show up the grid fillers. Well, he's not taking a uh, softly, softly sort of approach to uh, coming back after what happened at the end of last year.
1: No, he's definitely not. And, you know, we've talked, it's obviously been a, a focus recently, the importance of having some characters and some personalities in our sport. So it is. Definitely fun to see him getting a bit fired up about a few of those things. The only real question mark over the Enduros now is the exact pairings at Grove Racing, although from what I've heard, it will almost certainly be Reynolds and Tanda and Matt Payne and Kevin Estra. Stefan, is there a pairing or two in the entire Enduro field that's that's got you a bit
2: excited for the long-distance season? Wow, there's – always a lot of interesting pairings and especially this year with that variable of Gen 3 and how even the experienced co-drivers adapt to these new cars. But if I had to pick one, I'd say I'm most looking forward to seeing how Richie Stanaway goes in, in the 97 car. It'll be the first time we've seen him co-driving a top car in six years now. And the fact he's been overlooked for the full-time driver at 888, arguably that makes it a little more intriguing as to just how good he's going to go. Like, I'm kind of hoping we see him going door-to-door with Jamie Winkup at some point. I think that would be uh, pretty fun.
1: I think from memory I wasn't paying the closest of attention to the GT stuff in uh, in Sydney, but there was a little bit of that in GT cars at some point um, going on at that meeting. I think the the reynolds Tanda pairing, is a that, that's a pretty strong pairing. Uh, if you look at that, obviously we don't quite know where the Mustang is going to be uh, when we get to Bathurst, but that's a pretty strong pairing pairing the the stand away definitely that's pretty fascinating maybe percat and fabs as well you know maybe there's sort of mm. n- not being fully across how how car two is going to land in terms of its driver lineup next year but it's an opportunity for nick to kind of be up against a somewhat proven performer and sort of say maybe you know here are the issues with the car because i'm still fair, a fair bit quicker than this guy or Maybe not, you know. I guess it really depends on where that relationship is up to at that point. But that could be, that could be an interesting one.
2: Yeah, especially if uh, it's not clear what they're doing for 2024 by the time we get to Bathurst. Surely they, they will sort that out before then, though. Surely everyone will know the landscape. We will see. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17-19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable.
1: Well, Stefan, we spoke last week about Shane Van Gisbergen's revelation that he is indeed heading stateside next year. And since then, he has locked in his bitumen oval debut. He will race a Nice Racing Chevrolet in the Truck Series at Indianapolis Raceway Park. On the same weekend, he'll make a second Cup Series start for Trackhouse racing across town at the Indianapolis Road Course. That paints the picture of what we could see SVG's program look like next year as he works his way into the NASCAR system to learn a bit more about how Van Gisbergen's transition is likely to to play out, I had a chat with one of Motorsport Network's NASCAR experts, Nick DeGroote. So firstly, uh, Nick, as someone who I know follows supercars closely, how excited are you to have SVG headed over to your part of the world? Man, it
3: is. It's really exciting. I, uh, I've i been watching supercars for good 12, 13 years now. And I was there when Ambrose got his first cup win at Watkins Glen. And it was electric. I mean, the fans were eating it up. I was eating it up. And to see these guys, especially a talent like Shane Van Gisbergen, come over to NASCAR and do what he's already done and with plans to do even more is just so exciting. And honestly, I think supercars and NASCAR, they're, they're kindred, kindred spirits in a way. And the two series really complement each other. And you've seen that. Ambrosey came over and won, and now we have Shane that's come over and already won. And I, I'm really excited to see what else he can do. It's, it's really great to have him.
1: Is that excitement sort of shared throughout the NASCAR land, throughout the NASCAR paddock? You know, the reception to that debut win for Shane seemed pretty cool. The Cup Series regulars sort of took it on the chin quite well that he came over and beat him first time out.
3: Yeah, most of them did.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I I think uh, some of the more top-level road
3: racers in NASCAR, like Chase Elliott, um, they probably were kind of thrown aback by it because they thought they were at the top level of road racing ability in stock cars. And, and this guy, some of them I've never heard of, comes over here and shows them, oh, no, there's another level that you were previously unaware of. So I think uh, his presence there is welcomed mostly throughout the garage, but I, I certainly think there's some top drivers who usually go to these road races and they're the ones to beat. They, they don't like sharing, and they don't want another guy at the top challenging them, and that's what you're going to have with Shane Van Niesbergen.
1: Well, it's good to know race drivers are selfish no matter what part of the world they're going yeah. racing. In we, we we know Shane, we know Shane is heading over there, you know, in a full time capacity next year. He's made that pretty clear, but he's indicated that it won't necessarily be full time in the cup series. How do you see it all playing out in terms of his transition into the NASCAR system? And how does it work with a licensing system for super speedways and all that sort of stuff?
3: Yeah, so NASCAR, there is three divisions. You have cup at the national level, you have cup Xfinity and truck in that order. And when Ambrose came over, he really did the normal ladder system. He did trucks first, then he did Xfinity full time, then he jumped to cup. And um, I think when Shane comes over, he's, he's not going to do that. Um, mainly because he's a few years older than uh, Ambrose. And he's already shown that he can win cup races at these road courses. That I think cup teams are really eager to get him in that car, especially with, the NASCAR championship format and how it rewards wins over everything else. I mean, he, he could finish 30th at every oval race, win road win one road course race, and boom, he's in the playoffs. So I think they're really eager to get him running for a championship there. And uh, I, I think the best thing for him, though, would be to come over, do the Xfinity Series full-time next year, do a handful of truck races, and more importantly, a handful of cup races, hopefully on some different kinds of tracks, super speedways, intermediate tracks, short tracks, of course, road courses, and kind of get a feel for it. And if at the end of the year he feels like, all right, I'm ready, let's do this in 2025, go for it. Because the the worst thing you can do is jump into it and uh, not be ready, especially if you're with a team that maybe isn't the best team. I I think that's the one misstep Ambrose made. He did the ladder system perfectly and uh, gets the cup, and he wasn't with the best team. So even though he quickly adapted to the ovals, it, there was only so much the car he was driving could do, which I really think held him back. And I hope that doesn't happen with Shane, but on the licensing side, it, so there's two things you gotta be 18 for certain tracks, which he's got covered, <laughs> And the other thing is yep. super speed wise, NASCAR is very cautious about approving people for those. Cause you make a mistake at a normal track and you rack, you're in the wall. Oh, well you make a mistake at a super speed, like 25 people wreck, and it can get pretty dangerous pretty quick. So if you look at a, past precedence nascar is usually um it's, it's at their discretion and they look at certain drivers based on their background like if you have noble experience like shane does they're probably going to be like all right you need to do a uh, super speedway in the Xfinity or truck series before we let you do something like the daytona 500 but then you have guys like connor daly he never does super speedway race and they approved him for the daytona 500 because his experience in indycar but yeah shane having no previous experience i'm sure he wants to run the Daytona 500 or any race at a super speedway next year, he's going to have to do it in the truck and Xfinity series first.
1: Does, does this, does the Chicago win add any pressure to him for this transition? Do you think, because, you know, he's got a one and O record at the moment. He's got a hundred percent win record or does it take pressure away because he's actually proven how good he is already. And he doesn't have to worry about people not understanding where he's actually at as a race driver.
3: I think it might, Actually, add pressure. I don't know if he's going to feel that pressure, but I think it's going to add pressure because there was a lot of people on this side of it who really didn't know who he was. You saw a lot of them couldn't even pronounce his name. But I was <laughs> I was talking to somebody before Chicago, and they're like, "Yeah, that that guy. He he's really he doesn't know what he's in for. He's going to be in over his head here." And I'm like, "Do, do you know who this guy is? Do, do you know what he's capable of?" And uh, a lot of people weren't, but now everybody knows. And I think he could show up to Indy and have a really good day and finish seventh or eighth. And people would be like, well, what happened? What went wrong? So I definitely think the pressure's added for him here. And of course it's going to be opposite on the ovals when he goes to this truck race. They're just going to be like, honestly, a top 20 in that truck race. I think people would be surprised with and impressed with.
1: How much practice is he going to get in the truck before he has to go out and actually race on that oval?
3: Yeah. So after the pandemic, NASCAR really cut down on track time and he's only going to get 15 to 20 minutes of practice. And then he's got to jump right into qualifying, which is single truck qualifying, um, one, uh, single truck qualifying two laps and that's it. And then you're racing a few hours later and, uh, it's one heck of a race for them to be sticking him into. I'll tell you that one because this is the truck series. This is has a lot of young drivers in it, uh, at a short track where there's a lot of contact not a lot of room. And beyond that, this is actually the first race of the championship playoffs for the truck series. So these guys are officially racing for a title now. And if they see a guy in a truck that they don't recognize, they're not going to care who he is. They're going to move him. And most of the time, there's no repercussions unless you straight up right hook somebody in a wallet. Anything else goes in NASCAR.
1: You mentioned sort of, you know, seventh or eighth that at the Indy road course would be a pretty good day. Is that sort of where you see that he might filter out in this one? Like Kyle Busch has come out and said he's still the man to beat, but, you know, we know he won't have the advantage of it being a street course. And I guess it's probably a bit easy to be used up on a road course like, like there at Indy as well. So he might feel a bit more heat on his rear bumper. Do you sort of see like anywhere in the top 10 would still be a pretty good second outing for, for Shane?
3: Uh, absolutely. But it, I think if it goes green, he will and he will have the pace, I think, to be able to actually go out and win again if it's a green race. But thing is, it's usually not a green race. Uh, one thing he has going for him is the fact that NASCAR recently got rid of stage breaks. So NASCAR races, they have stages where stage one and stage two, they award a handful of points, to the top 10 runners, and then they throw caution and they restart. And, they go after it and they've eliminated that where they're still going to award the points, but they're not going to throw the caution. They're going to let the natural flow of the race happen. So you're not going to have all those crazy restarts unless something actually happens on track and they've moved the restart zone. So hopefully you don't get the whole bumper tag thing going off to turn one like we saw at Indy last year or Coda earlier this year, where at that point, it doesn't matter how fast you are. You're in leading. There's going to be a guy six rows back pushing the entire row off in the corner and, Everybody's going to be wrecking. So if it's a green race, I think he can win. If there's a bunch of restarts and he survives, I think he can get a top 10.
1: What about Brody Kosteki? Are people a bit more, people over there a bit more uh, sort of wary of a supercars driver coming over now than they might have been with with Shane coming over? Do you think he could be in the mix as well for his debut?
3: Oh, they're, they're certainly paying more attention. I'll tell you that much. And it's inter- it's interesting because we have. Jensen Bunn doing this race. We have Kobayashi making his NASCAR cup debut and no one's talking about him. They're just like, look at these supercar drivers and the supercar drivers are coming. So Shane's definitely got everybody paying attention to people from that side of the world now. And I think Brody, again, he can have top 10 pace as well. He's younger than Shane. He's not as experienced, but I think he can be just as fast. um, Given the right circumstances. The only thing with him is that project 91 car and track house they uh it's an established program they got a good group of people they got a cup crew chief leading it or a cup championship crew chief leading it with gary and and over at shoulders they've only run that third car like one time in the last few years so i'd be a little concerned about reliability and the pit crew and strategy and all that but i think brody himself he, he should have decent pace and i could see him qualifying top 10 finishing top 10 but i'd be i'd be a little worried about the car but again shoulders won this race last year so they have, they have fast cars. It's just a matter of what they want to give him when they're focusing also on getting the three car into the playoffs because uh, Austin Illum's not locked in and that's going to be more important to them.
1: Coming back to Giz and his full-time move, how does the manufacturer support of the drivers work over there in, in the States? It seems he got a bit more time in the Chevrolet sim than some of the other drivers did before Chicago and so on. How are those deals and those perks sort of arranged among the drivers?
3: Yeah, so with the with Chevrolet specifically, so uh, the way it works is there's a lot of seniority and you have know, Childress and Hendrick, they are old teams. They've been around for decades and they are the top rung of that ladder. And there's two branches within Chevrolet where RCR has a bunch of teams that are aligned to them and then Hendrick has a bunch of teams that are aligned to them. For example, Trackhouse is aligned to a uh, Rich Chilis Racing. And the way these alliances work, they vary greatly between the teams. It could be as simple as we give you engines or it could be more in-depth where we're sharing data, we're supplying pit crews, or the heck, we're even building the race cars and shop for another race team. But as for the sim stuff, I uh, I, I think it's not so much uh, them fighting over time for it. I think it's pretty uh, open for everybody to use at will. and I think the only time it may get like, hey, this guy needs time. You're going to have to sit out is at a place like Chicago where everyone's desperate to uh, learn the new track. But at this point of the year, it's going to be, okay, drivers like Shane who are new, they need time in the sim. Or this driver who's fighting to make the playoffs, he needs time in the sim. And uh, I think that's really how they divvy it up.
1: Last question: The one thing that Shane hates about his current job as a Supergoose driver is the media and sponsor work in NASCAR. He's going to be doing a lot more racing, but is he going to be facing a pretty rigorous off-track schedule as well?
3: Oh yeah, um, <laughs> uh, he, he, he's not going to be happy to see this, but it's going to be a lot uh, from media and sponsor side, especially you know he's the new kid on the block that everybody's talking about. They're going to want to. Talk to them a lot. There's going to be a lot of interview requests. There's going to be a lot of sponsor engagements, and and NASCAR that goes right up to moments before you're climbing into the car. You're you're talking to sponsors. You're talking to media, and you you will have scheduled press appearances, but you'll also have media just approaching you, cold turkey. And there's there's a huge uh, huge amount of access for media in NASCAR. I remember when I did my second ever NASCAR race back when I was a teenager, I was able to get an exclusive interview with a Cup champion Bobby Labonte, future Hall of Famer, and it was easy. I just put in a request, and boom, yeah, he'll. Fifteen minutes, you get to talk to him, and so I think that's going to be a different experience for him. But one thing I've noticed with him, and he did this before Chicago, he sat down with Corey LaJoie, Cup driver, on his podcast, and this week he's going to be with Dale Hart Jr. on his podcast, and uh, maybe he's more comfortable doing that sort of interview with uh his peers fellow racers and uh there's no shortage of those in the nascar world it seems every day there's a new podcast popping up so yeah maybe you'll see him doing more of those instead of a traditional media
1: all right, let's take a look at what happened around the world over the weekend. Matty Campbell starred in the IMSA race at Road America. He and Philippe Nasser combining to score victory for the Penske Porsche squad. There was almost anti success in IndyCar as well. Scott McLaughlin missing out on victory in Nashville by just seven-tenths of a second. The win went to Kyle Kirkwood in his very pink Andretti entry. Scott Dixon finished fifth and Will Power down in tenth. The MotoGP race at Silverstone was an absolute cracker with Aleix Espargaro passing Peko Bagniai on the very last lap to win. Jack Miller led the early stages of the race, but copped a hip and shoulder from Maverick vinyalas that dumped him all the way back to 14th. He recovered to finish 8th. The iconic rally Finland was won for the second time by Toyota's Elfin Evans. That puts the Welshman on level pegging with local legends Ari Vartanen and Timo Salonen for Finnish victories. The very soggy Nürburgring DTM wins were shared by Mirko Bortolotti and Maximilian Paul. And there was a bit of weather around for the NASCAR Cup race in Michigan too. That race was called off midway through on the Sunday and not restarted until Monday local time. The win eventually went to Chris Busher in the Castrol-backed Mustang. That bloke had won two races between 2016 and 2022 and has now won two on the bounce this season. Okay, Castrol mailbag time. We decided to revive an old favourite this week and we asked for your unpopular opinions. Uh, let's start with Michael Swanson. He says supporting a manufacturer is completely pointless and makes no sense. And it makes far more sense to follow, support a driver or team, irrespective of the manufacturer. It's just not really the way we do things here, is it, Stefan?
2: Well, it's it's probably evolving though, isn't it? Yeah. In terms of the relevance of the automotive manufacturer to the the average person i mean it used to be such a big part of the family identity when australians worked at gmh or ford um and it's all their families ever drove so yeah yeah, i think i think it is evolving for sure but i mean there's nothing wrong with a bit of manufacturer loyalty and passion it's it's definitely as you allude to it's it's what the sport has really grown off and thrived from
1: yeah i mean those drivers and teams switching sides certainly doesn't doesn't cause the, you know, rattle in the earth that it used to. There's no doubt about that. We saw that with the Walkenshaw thing last year. I mean, once upon a time, if HRT had decided to run forwards, that would have um that would have been backpage news around the country. And it just wasn't quite that big a sporting story anymore. So there definitely is some some evolution of that, I
2: suppose. But at the same time, like um, the the parody debates and the amount of passion amongst the fans um, that you see especially online like it's uh, yeah it's it's still very real it's it's still a thing it fires people up absolutely uh chris
1: jordan says the mid-season break in supercars back in 2009 was a good idea ending the round winner and making them all separate races and podiums was a great idea what do you think about that Stefan? you're more in the world of stats and who's <laughs> won what what do you what do you reckon well
2: there's clearly two two very separate uh, points from uh, from Chris there. Uh, at the moment it feels like we've got a mid-season break between every supercars round. Yeah, so um <laughs> well, let's just yeah. park that one. And the round winners, yeah, I'm quite torn on it. I think whenever there's three race rounds, it does kind of feel like there needs to be some sort of conclusion, some sort of round winner and uh, obviously Triple Eight thinks there thinks there is. But, um, yeah, know, I'm not uh, hugely
1: passionate either way on this one. Chris Pace says that supercars qualifying is now more interesting than the race. Uh, welcome to motor racing, Chris. That's pretty much the truth for any uh, racing series in the world, I guess. You know, like for most categories, qualifying is better because, again, not the first time I've brought this up, qualifying literally – lines the cars up in order from fastest to slowest, So it's interesting to see how that order shakes out. But then we can't be too hard on formats when there's not much overtaking because we literally started the fast guy at the front and the slow guy at the back. So, yeah, qualifying is just entertaining. It's, a, it's, a, it's just how it has always been pretty much. What do you reckon?
2: Oh, I think you've put a very sad spin on the sport we all love. Um, yes, qualifying is, is thrilling, especially at the moment in supercars. 'Cause of how close it is, but I'd still watch a race over a qualifying session every time if I had to choose between one or the other. The race is what it's all about.
1: That's a sad world where you can only have one or the other. That's that that's a sadder picture than the one I'm painting. The good news is we get to watch both. We get paid to watch both, Stefan. It's a wonderful, wonderful yeah, world. That's uh, better. Broadie Taylor says 2000 to 2008 was the best and most entertaining era for ATCC slash V8 supercars, even beating the 70s and 80s. And an eight year span is like an odd time frame to label as an era. I reckon that's a uh, that's kind of a mm-hmm. kind of an interesting one. But there was definitely some 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 good sport in that time, like early 2000s. You know, the drivers were still celebrities, still big personalities. The sport was evolving in terms of its professionalism. Uh, the cars were spectacular. Like, it's, it's it's, not a bad shout. I'm kind of on board with this. What do you reckon?
2: Oh, yeah, it was an amazing era um, of growth for V8 supercars, totally, in, in all areas, whether it was events or, or what have you, and the manufacturer backing was clearly enormous. Um, it's sort of hard to compare it to – previous decades especially when like you and I weren't around to to be covering those so you're kind of just just looking backwards through the history books but um yeah I think that that mid 2000s for supercars um I recently someone was asking me about what I thought which year was peak supercars and I said 2005 because as you as you mentioned like the the absolute star driver's that were around then. And then also the teams. It was a bit of a crossover point between those traditional teams like Stone Brothers and Perkins and so on, and that new breed of Triple Eight and Pro Drive that were really raising the level there as well. I, I think, um, yeah, that was definitely a good era. Nah,
1: no, definitely. Yeah, 05, 06 was a great championship, amazing conclusion as well. Like, uh, yeah, um, mm. it was definitely a good time. On a similar theme, Richie Churnside says the Group A era was still the best cars and teams. This country has ever seen. I don't know about that one, Richie. I don't know. I I don't know. I can't quite get behind that. What about you, Stephen? You got any love for Richie there?
2: Well, again, I wasn't around for it. So I'm sort of piecing together the fragments of ancient pottery and sort of building the picture from there. But some of those early Group A years, particularly sort of 86, 87, they looked amazing in terms of the variety of the machinery that was competitive and the ability for world-class teams to come out and and do Bathurst. Obviously, 87 was the world championship round, but um, it's definitely harder to mount an argument that those later seasons that were utterly dominated by one car, whether it was a Sierra or a Nissan GDR, it's um, it's harder to say those were the glory years.
1: Luke Taylor says, progressive grids are way better than having three qualifying sessions per round. I'm guessing Luke isn't on board with... um, Chris Paces take on qualifying. Then if he would rather just have one qualifying session and see the grids uh, change with the race results, um, I don't like that, Luke. I think having the three qualifying sessions is one of the good things about the format, you know, one of the best things about the format we got. Um, they're always exciting sessions. And, you know, you could maybe make a case of what you're saying if we weren't seeing variety in those sessions. But particularly on the Sunday, we quite often see – see someone do well in one session and not very well at all in another session. It's not that often that, you know, someone goes out and polls both of those two sessions. So I, I think the format we got is pretty exciting.
2: Yeah, I agree that individual qualifying sessions is is a better way to go because, mainly because having a whole weekend ruined by an issue in race one is is not good, especially in this modern era where it's a bit harder to pass and, and work your way through.
1: Glenn Sansom says SVG wouldn't have been as successful in the last three years if Scotty Mack didn't go to IndyCar. I think that kind of goes without saying to a large extent, like Scotty is a top-level driver that would have taken the fight to Shane had he hung around, you know, particularly uh, as DJR was still reaping the benefits of the Penske era. I think he would have found a way to make that package pretty competitive and would have taken a few wins off Shane. Would Shane? Would it have cost Shane any Titles—it's pretty hard to say, but I, I mean, I think it's fair to say that he would have would have made life a bit tougher for Shane than it perhaps was in the last past couple of seasons. Is
2: that unfair, Stephen? No, I think um, I think it's a fair statement, and yeah, it doesn't take anything away from Shane's achievements. You can only beat the blokes who uh, who turn up. It's interesting that Scotty and Shane will be racing on the same weekend this weekend at Indianapolis, with um, NASCAR and IndyCar sharing that. Uh, that event, but um, we'll see uh, if we ever see these blokes uh, in the same race again. Hopefully we do.
1: Well, I'm sure, Scotty, will take peace with the fact that if someone tries to park too close to him, he can just climb out the top of his race car now and doesn't have to worry about <laughs> whether the door opens or not. Uh, Michael Clements says, F1 should be reverse championship order grid for the main race on Sundays. Use the one-day qualifying and sprint race format so that there is still action on Saturdays, I just—that's like hurting my brain even trying to think about that. I just still don't get this sprint race thing. I don't get it in MotoGP, and I really don't get what it's doing in F one either, to be honest. But um, reverse championship order would definitely make for some pretty spicy sandbagging at some point. I reckon you'd have to time your run just right. What do you think, Stefan?
2: Well, I think sprint races on Saturdays is just about more content and more eyeballs and and bigger TV checks. Um, but in terms of the reverse grid element, which is probably the more controversial call here, I'm not against reverse grids, especially in supercars, but I think it would be a really cheap and, and tacky look for the top division of the sport to uh, to go that far down the showbiz path. Sarah Rollings says,
1: It's a big one. Bathurst isn't the best track in the world or in our series. I feel like, Sarah, with this unpopular opinion, you kind of need to... Follow that up with what you think is the best track in the world, or in our series. I guess in the world, Bathurst. Yeah, it's it's that, that that's a fairly uh, you could make a robust argument about the fact there's better tracks in the world, better tracks in supercars. I'd like to sort of know what would be considered a better track. Any clues what it could be, Stefan?
2: Well, I think um, if there was a prize for winning unpopular opinion. Of the year, this uh, this would probably do it because <laughs> oh, I've got yeah. nothing else to say to this, like other than putting in beer doesn't taste any good. I'm not sure how you could confuse us anymore.
1: Yeah, no, I don't. I don't get it. like I say in the world in the world scheme of things, there's some pretty awesome tracks out there uh, on our supercars calendar. I don't know what possibly trumps Bathurst, but there you go. Um, Dylan Lester says now, now here we're talking now. Bathurst should run the track in reverse layout once every few years. Um, because obviously, you know, the world moving ever increasingly into this safety-conscious safety, safety conscious mindset, they're definitely going to just turn the track around.
2: It would be cool. It would be cool. Yeah, it would be amazing. And obviously they've run hill climbs and things up the mountain the wrong way before, but I'd love to see a team do this just even just for filming, not even necessarily a race speed, but just to create a sort of viral video content piece you know maybe even run some sort of wacky reverse livery on the car as well and just yeah drive the car around the track the wrong way they could get, have you ever seen those doves
1: that they race in uh, they race in Holland that go just as fast backwards as they go forwards and they have like reverse racing and that sort of stuff with them that might oh, be I a, yeah
2: may have se- I think I have seen a clip of this you had me yeah. clean bold there for a moment but no I'm with yep. you. Nah, they could get those things
1: going. That could be a good Bathurst support race, I reckon. That would be quite interesting. Uh, here's one, Corey Jamison, he has absolutely swung for the bleachers with this one. Uh, Scotty Mack didn't win a Bathurst.
2: I think is this a hospital hand one. pass are you going to just uh, <laughs> give think, this to me? Was, no, no, no. I was about to say I think we should both just leave that one alone, to be honest. <laughs> Oh, yeah, this dear. this is just uh, trolling this one, but it's interesting how many Scotty Mack uh, opinions get put in here. He's uh, still uh, in the hearts and minds of the fans.
1: I've had plenty of grief in a previous podcasting life about this topic, so uh, let's move on. Julie Jones says, Daniel Ricciardo should have walked away last year. Well, he kind of did in a way, I suppose. Uh, is she saying that he shouldn't have come back?
2: I would take it that way, yeah. Otherwise, that's... Uh Yeah, that's not an opinion. That's a historical fact. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, no, I
1: I think he's done great coming back in the way that he's done and he's taken it to Yuki and I think he's certainly given himself the best shot at a career revival, so it's been a really good decision. So I don't know why he would just not do that. And he seems to be enjoying it, which is the most important thing, apart from the car obviously not working too well last race, but in general he seems to be embracing the fact that he's back in the sport.
2: Yeah, well, regardless of how he actually goes and and what happens from here, I love the fact that he's effectively put his reputation on the line again and and gone back into it. Like he could have easily had the 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 easy life being the celebrity, but uh, he's still a racing car driver at heart and he's uh, having a crack.
1: Michael Calvert says sixty odd various teams personnel wearing high vis vests on a track walk where the track time is designated for track walks is whack uh full points for use of the word whack there michael um yeah it it kind of is to be honest and um i think you've probably in the scheme of like what can we talk motorsport australia into allowing uh ditching high vis vests on a track walk is probably going to happen before running every third bathurst in reverse to be honest but um it is kind of an odd thing when uh it's just it's just cars and uh and you know, Sorry, just drivers walking around and everyone's in high vest. Although, you know, we could make a joke about a certain golf buggy coming flying along at some Yuck. point, but may, maybe we shouldn't.
2: <laughs> that's uh, exactly what I was thinking, so let's move on. <laughs> um,
1: uh, it's one of my most treasured memories is us sitting in that golf buggy at this last year, Stefan. Um, Matthew Jarrett says, uh, SVG hardly ever makes a clean overtaker. That's, I just don't really think that's true
2: at all to be honest. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very unfair. It, uh, it feels like Shane's made more overtakes than the rest of the field put together in the last few years. So, uh, of course, a couple are going to have a bit of contact, but um, I don't reckon it's um, unfair to say that he's got the best race craft of anyone in the history of the category.
1: Yep, I'd be totally on. That would be a very popular opinion in my book, Stefan. Uh, Joel Fowler it says if Winkup was truly the goat, he would have left Supercars and gone onto a bigger series. Well, this is kind of like a chicken and the egg thing because it's hard to become the goat in Supercars if you aren't racing in Supercars. Like you've kind of got to be there to win your seven championships to uh, become the goat. So it's
2: sort of it's one of those things that you just never really know, right? Well, maybe we're talking about being some sort of uh, worldwide goat. But right. um, I do think it's harsh to criticise Jamie for the way he went about his career. But at the same time, it's, like, it's really amazing that not only did he not want to go overseas, but he stayed with one team for so many years. Yeah. Like, it, it definitely would have been fun to see him have a crack at some other things. But I guess, you know, that determination he had to just keep getting better and better and grinding away every year at what he was doing with with the same group. That's a key part of why he was so good. Ryan Campbell says
1: uh, that the shifter paddles debate was blown out of proportion. If the most entertaining thing in your broadcast is the driver pulling on a lever, the series has much bigger problems than the shift mechanism. No, nah, you're wrong, Ryan. You're just wrong. It was incredibly important and we got the right result and the series is much better for it.
2: It's funny how this feels like it was years ago now I know. that all this stuff went down, but um, it's it's so much more than the lever. I think that's the key point. Like it's yep. the whole heel and toe driving style because if you go to paddles, you're in auto blip mode and you're probably talking about left foot braking and stuff as well. So, yeah, let's not simplify it too much and just say it's it's lever versus paddle. It was the whole art of driving the cars that was really on the line. Absolutely. Uh, And to finish up, Andy Anderson says, double file
1: restarts are 10 times better than single file leader jump out restarts. I reckon that would be interesting to see some double file restarts in supercars. What do you reckon?
2: Well, supercars have played with this before um, about 10 years back. And my memory says there was a bit too much carnage, but I'd probably have to look back at, whether that was actually the case or it's just the memorable parts that were were chaotic, but um, certainly let's let's revisit this after uh, watching the NASCAR race this weekend because mm. the double file restarts tend to really uh, create a silly amount of carnage over there.
1: All righty, let's hand out some Castrol stars of the week. Uh, Stefan, you're up first this week. Lick that Castrol star and send it, big fella.
2: Well, I am going with... Scott McLaughlin this week. I know he didn't win the IndyCar race in Nashville, but his pole lap was amazing and he had to work really hard for that second-place finish in hot and tough conditions there in the race. I just think it's easy to take for granted what an amazing job he's doing over there in those cars and, uh, yeah, he gets my start of the week. It's a good job to take
1: the edge off that vicious attack on uh, whether he's actually won a Bathurst 1000 or... Or not. Uh, I'm going to give my Castrol star to Max Verstappen this week, not because he's a card-carrying, stroopwaffle eating Dutchman like myself, but because of his comments about how it would be a shame if F1 went down the NASCAR path and basically didn't race in the rain anymore. Slightly misguided comments, of course, given NASCAR does now race in the rain, at least sometimes, but his thoughts that bad visibility in the wet is just a thing that needs to be accepted, I can definitely get on board with that. So you get a big old Castrol star, Maxi boy. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport news.
0: Hey, it's Chaz Mosted here. And yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication and so much more for all sorts of makes, models and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.